Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. Think of us as the sports page for your ears. It's November 18th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Tonight is the NBA draft, and a pair of Jayhawks are hoping to hear their name called. Where Yudoka Ezebuki and Devon Dotson will land is anybody's guess, but guessing is what we tried to do on today's show with beat writers Gary Bedore and Jesse Newell. After a break, we'll catch up with Kellis Robinette, who covers Kansas State. It's a big football weekend for the Wildcats, who travel to Iowa State. Farmageddon's what they're calling it these days, and Kellis and I agreed we love that nickname. So let's get started talking NBA Draft and KU with Jesse and Gary. Gary Bedore and Jesse Newell cover Kansas for the star, and they join us now. And, of course, Gary and I have been hogging all the Kansas conversation for the last, what, month and a half, two months or so. Jesse, it's great to have you back covering Kansas and covering sports again. You feel good about uh, returning to the sports pages? Yes, I do. I have so many takes bottled up inside, Blair, so thanks for having <laughs> me. I hope, hopefully you've got like two or three hours here uh, to kill because I'm, I'm ready to bring the takes. <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. We'll we'll, we'll talk for uh, we'll, we'll talk for several hours, <laughs> then run it as a series next week while we take a couple of days off for for Thanksgiving. That'll that'll work. So, well, there is a there is an event tonight that that um, was scheduled for late June, but it's happening on November the eighteenth, and that's the NBA draft. And of course, um, as Kansas often does, uh, the Jayhawks have players that that likely will be selected tonight. No guarantees, but uh, Yudoka Ezebuki and Devon Dotson are, have been projected to be taken tonight among the 60 players who will, uh, who will be drafted. What are we hearing about where? What do the mocks say, Gary? I know that you wrote about this yeah. uh, in today's paper. I think the mocks <clears throat> pretty much have them as second round right in the middle. Uh, Bill Self... And his assistants at Ladies' Night Out event the other night said that they could be late first to mid-second, but um, it just seems like a long shot for the first round, I would think, unless uh, some team really likes them and is going to grab them. But they seem to be considered second-rounders. Well, and let's let's talk a minute about their measurables because even as uh, who who the heck knows what certain NBA teams are looking for, but you know, based on your story this morning, that you know both Azubuki and Dotson have done did some pretty impressive things physically, anyway, mm-hmm. in terms of measurements uh, at the combine. Tell us about that. Yeah, Doke uh, has a really great wingspan, I guess, and uh, Dotson had the. Uh, the second fastest time in the decade in a three-quarter court sprint, I guess. Um, I forget what Doke did so well, but they have all these crazy. Did he have like like a like a vertical? I think right for his oh, yeah vertical for, for, center, for his it, position. He had the best of any center in uh, the vertical, the jump, I guess. So, uh, yeah. self was saying that these measurements show athleticism and that if a team is wondering about these guys, he thinks their good performance at the combine uh, with these measurements could push them in a positive direction. If team, but like self said, it doesn't take much to throw the draft off. All of a sudden some guy could be uh, 
left over from the first round that everybody thought was going to go high and and then a team takes that guy and and knocks the Jayhawks down farther so uh they seem hopeful for second round like Diedrich Lawson wasn't even drafted and they were saying second round for him also but the mocks are pretty much including these guys, so I would think we would hear their names tonight and they won't be free agents, but we shall see. <laughs> right, right, right. Jesse, what, what did they do so well in college that, um, you know, the player of the year type stuff, conference player of the year type stuff for both Doak and Dotson? Um, but, you know, it's, it's like I said, you, I, and, I, and I don't understand often what, NBA teams really are looking for and what they desire. So there have to be some some kind of limitations that NBA teams see when uh, when they scout uh, Doke and Dotson. But they were great, great college players. And you know, can can we can we think that their their skills are going to translate to the next level? Yeah, I, I hate to. Here I was. I said I had all the takes, and I guess I'm going to start here by being uh, kind of on the fence a little bit. But, um, you know, it, it really is one of those things that it, it depends. And I think kind of using a Chiefs analogy with this, um, we see certain pieces like with the Chiefs offense that can kind of go above and beyond and that are really good fits in the Chiefs offense because they have Patrick Mahomes, because they have Andy Reid. And, and certain players perhaps wouldn't be as good of a fit just because, uh, you know, in Kansas City, because they don't run the ball as much and because um, that really isn't that their type of game. So I think, you know, like for example, I know the Chiefs don't always use like McCole Hardman that much, but to add speed on top of speed, it seems like you kind of get exponential gains because the way the Chiefs offense is structured is different than many others are structured. And I think you sort of see that in the NBA here, um, especially with Udoka it's going to be a matter of fit. It's going to be a matter of a team that really needs what he provides. And it could be potentially that, you know, 20, 21, 22 teams out there, even if he is available, they just have no use for him because of the specific scheme that they have and and how he might fit in. But uh, what's fascinating about these two guys is to me, they have very, very, very obvious strengths and very, very, very obvious weaknesses and that especially goes for you doka i mean you talked about his ability to jump he is athletic he can run the floor he can post defend um he obviously is a beast right by the basket and then what can he not do well we saw in the villanova game he wasn't quite as in shape as he is right now but the villanova game in the 2018 final four just exposed him as a perimeter defender you know nba teams are going to have to have a guy that can at least shuffle a few times out on the perimeter and, you know, give the appearance of defense before he can recover to his man. And then, you know, the free throw shooting. He really can't do anything outside of the paint, um, whether that's in the flow of the offense or if they wanted to play some hack and doke. So, hey, a team out there, do you need uh, – I hate to bring back another Jayhawk, but do you need a potential playoff defender against Joel Embiid? You know, do you need a body to lean against him? Do you need six fouls in there? If so, if you're in that team's conference, then potentially there's a fit for Doak. But um, there are a lot of teams out there that potentially that's it's just not a fit at all for them if that's not the touch style they play or the type of matchup they go up against. For Devon Dotson, I mean, it's speed, speed, speed. Last year, I thought he would probably try to improve by improving his weaknesses. Instead, he made his strengths better, which is 
He's amazing getting on a right-hand drive and scoring that way. He's amazing in transition. He's super fast, and he's a perimeter defender that's really pesky alongside what KU had with Marcus Garrett. So all those things are great. The question marks are for him are about his size. He doesn't have a huge wingspan. He's 6'2". Is that going to be big enough in the NBA? And then also kind of the pick-and-roll ability. You know, he had one of the greatest – lob catching big men of our time in college basketball and he didn't really utilize them last year so can he play in a pick and roll so much of the nba with the 24 second shot clock is just get yourself in a situation make the rec- correct read and make the pass and and devon dotson is still very much unproven when it comes to that part of his game and of course we know the limitations he has shooting the basketball can he make an open three-pointer from nba range that'll go a long way too so i think they both these guys project especially off the bat and bill self agrees as backups but um, getting in the right situation and getting in the right um, team and coaching concept that maybe accentuates their strengths and minimizes their weaknesses, I think that'll go a long way toward determining whether these guys are successful or not. Yeah, I, the, hearing you, you know, explain that, it just I, I continue to marvel at what Bill Self got out of these two players. I mean, you talk about maximizing their potential on the college level at, at the highest level of of college basketball, you know, Doak, what he set the NCAA record for, for field goal percentage, obviously, because he didn't take any shots away from the basket. Um, and, and, and Dotson ended up leading the conference in scoring last season. So I, I don't, you know, it, it and, and this team went 17 and one in the big 12 was the overall number one seed or would have been the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, it, it just seems like Bill self maximized, the potential of those two players. I, I think they'll both be drafted. I think there's a place in the NBA probably on the bench for, for both of them. Just as I thought with Devonte Graham a couple of years ago, you know, there were, he had, he had his flaws, right. Coming out of college into the NBA, but he, sh- he certainly has proved that if you land in the right spot, uh, you, you can, you know, you can succeed in the NBA. And, and we've seen that from, from Devonte Graham this year. Or we saw it this past year. Yeah, I, I think so, Blair. And, you know, <laughs> basically the wrong spot for Jayhawks lately has been Sacramento. So maybe that's one to watch because <laughs> it seems whichever <laughs> players go to Sacramento uh, do not get that sort of development. But, um, you know, going back to the testing as well, what, what Gary said, I mean, that is going to open some eyes. And if nothing else, uh, that is going to get you on board and get you looked at, especially in Devon Dotson's case, because um, I, I just – I think – Dotson is more of a universal fit than Udoka is. I think Udoka is more of a uh, specific fit. Like it's he is going to fit whatever team drafts him most likely very very well, and they're going to have a plan for him. Devon is more of a guy. Hey, do you need a backup point guard? If you think you need a backup point guard, you potentially could slot this guy in, so he could be probably available to a more wider range of teams but again the evaluation of him is going to be different based off of what teams think about his speed what teams think about his shooting what teams think about his ability to pass the basketball and and those sorts of evaluations are going to be a little bit all over the map because there weren't as many workouts uh, in the COVID setting uh, as there might have been in in previous years just to kind of figure out exactly what those guys are so um, we know that this is sort of uh, as much science goes into this, as much research that at the end of the day, this is still something that is not perfect because teams still let guys dr- slip through the draft that become all stars and still take some t- guys at the very top that uh, don't turn out to be very much at all. So um, this is still not something that is completely perfected as of yet, but 
Uh, like I said, I, I think that the, those measurables for both these guys is definitely going to get them drafted. We'll see if I'm an idiot by saying that tomorrow. But um, I, I think both of them <laughs> definitely, as you said, have backup roles to start in the NBA. And especially with Doak, the team that's going to take him is going to be a team that definitely has a plan for him. Okay, let me ask you guys this. What do you remember about the college career of Tyrese Halliburton of Iowa State? Uh, his career only lasted, what, maybe 50 games or so? He didn't he, uh, played, uh, started every game as a freshman two years ago, got injured after about 20 games last season and uh, and didn't, didn't finish the season, and yet he will – uh, is is projected to become the, the the highest drafted Big Twelve player and likely a top ten pick. And I've been kind of doing a little surfing to see you know where he might end up, and he might even end up in the top five. Who who knows? But what do you guys remember about Tyrese Halliburton as as a player at Iowa State? I think he's tall for six five six six five point guard, right? Is what they're talking about him as as an NBA player? Yeah. So I think they're going by. What, what he fits the mold and uh, don't remember how he did against the Jayhawks off the top of my head, but uh, he's certainly being mentioned a lot. Like you said, if you do a Google search, a lot of teams are talking about him like the Bulls and different teams like that. So Jesse might remember specifics, but uh, he's really got a good shot, it looks like, tonight. Yeah, I will tell you how he did in his first game against Kansas, which was a 77-60 to 60 Iowa State victory at Hilton Coliseum. Uh, 14 points, 4 for 5 two-point shooting, 4 steals in 37 minutes uh, along go, to go along with uh, 3 assists. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for him, you talked about the boxes that he checks, Blair. Um, he's a guy that 6'5", uh, he has the ability to pass, the ability to be unselfish. He is the guy that uh, teammates seem to love. And uh, that's sort of when we're talking about this separating, you know, what, what we're talking about, potential lottery pick and Tyrese Halliburton and a guy in Devon Dotson that, you know, is more looked at as a backup point guard role is those exact things that I just talked about, which is, um, hey, when, when you're watching Tyrese Halliburton come around to pick and roll, he's going to make the correct read. He's going to make the correct find. And um, he's a guy that's going to make his teammates better in that regard. And some of the things that aren't quite as polished yet, I mean, he's he's a good three-point shooter. He was not a high-volume three-point shooter, but he was a good three-point shooter. Those are the sorts of things that a lot of scouts and people out there think, hey, you can control that. You know, you can become a better shooter. You can become a more confident guy in that range. And he obviously uh, stepped up his offensive uh, role for Iowa State the second year compared to the first year, just looking at the numbers across the board. But um, a guy like that who um, has all the measurables, you think probably has a little bit more ceiling left in there, but also is going to make the right decision on every single possession or, or most of them to get teammates open. Um, yeah, that, that's maybe more sort of the complete player you're talking about here. And then um, wingspan. I, I just talked about Dotson being six foot two with, I think, a six three wingspan. Uh, Halliburton's a, another guy, six five, but but crazy long arms. I mean, you see it with his steal rate. He disrupts passes. He can be that sort of player on the defensive end. So um, this is kind of what you see when all those sorts of pieces come together for a player, as opposed to a guy like Devon Dotson, where we know his strengths. But we know his weaknesses. There just aren't as many question marks out there about Tyrese, and uh, that's, I'm sure, why he's being mentioned at the very top of these draft boards. Yeah, and if he goes in the first round, he'll be the first Iowa State player uh, since Royce White uh, in 2012 mm -hmm. to, to be taken in the first round. So 
Okay. Hey, before we leave, uh, Jesse, bring us up to date on Kansas football and and uh, and att- attendance. What they're doing now with the you know with the turnstiles at Memorial Stadium. They got a couple of home games left, starting with Saturday's game against Texas. They've had fans in the stadium for a few games. I don't think that's the case anymore. No, it's not. Uh, Chancellor Douglas Gerard announced on Tuesday that KU would not have KU Athletics would not have fans for any events through November. So um, there's just there's a lot of layers to get into with this if you want to kind of talk it through. You know, Douglas Gerard is KU's chancellor, but he's also a surgeon. So his background is in medicine. He obviously knows very well sort of the coronavirus staff, uh, pandemic staff, that they kind of help make these uh, these decisions. Uh, and so it's sort of interesting because a lot of chancellors slash presidents out there, you know, medicine is not their expertise. But I feel like probably Douglas Gerard feels a little bit more pressure to act and act quickly on these sorts of things mm-hmm. because this is his area that he is supposed to be sort of in charge <laughs> right. of. Um, at the same time for Kansas, you know, I think it's very much – not a coincidence that they said that these uh, this has happened through all events in November and KU men's basketball's first game is in December because um, obviously there's going to be a much bigger uproar if the men's basketball team is not going to allow any fans in the stands. Right now, it's set to have 1,500 in the uh, 16,300 capacity Allen Fieldhouse for home games, but uh, we'll see if that changes based off of the discussion again between KU's uh, pandemic advisory team and Douglas Gerard. So um, this is sort of a delicate balance because um, listening to KU and, and kind of the talks they've had with the budget and trying to make everything uh, make ends meet, they're already, KU Athletics is in a bad spot and the university is not able to bail KU Athletics out because they're in their bad spot of their own. So if you're Douglas Gerard, if you do make this decision to say, hey, no fans at Allen Fieldhouse for the home games in December, that's going to hurt KU Athletics' bottom line, and their bottom line already isn't in trouble, even with um, you know some of the cuts that have already been made to try to make ends meet. So uh, this is a really difficult, complicated decision for Kansas. And uh, though 1,500 fans doesn't sound like a lot, that at least is some ticket revenue you're bringing in when already you know you're going to be down a whole bunch based off the fact that it's a shorter season and you can only get about a tenth of the fans in there that you normally would. So, um, yeah, this is going to be fascinating to sort of track over time, but uh, I don't think any fans are are crying too many big tears to not be able to watch KU football in its final two home games of the season. But basketball will be a different matter, and we all know that there's a lot of different um, opinions on the range of spectrum here. So um, we'll see what Chancellor Douglas Gerard does, but obviously this is going to have major ramifications for not only KU fans, but also the athletic department revenue-wise when it comes to deciding whether fans are allowed in, in men's basketball and fans are allowed at Allen Fieldhouse coming up in December, January, February. Absolutely. And Gary, uh, we were talking about before we went on the air, KU Hoops' first game is a big one. It's uh, it's not the Champions Classic like it always is, but it's Thanksgiving Day, yeah. right, against they play the, the Zags? The Zags in Florida uh, as of now. Uh, and uh, both teams are top, top ten for sure. Uh, the Zags are number one in the preseason poll, so uh, – and then yeah. Kansas plays Kentucky on uh, December 1st, unless that gets changed. So tough games early in the season. But this, right. Gonzaga, apparently, I was listening to Norm Roberts at Ladies Night Out, and he said that they mirror KU quite a bit. They they both have very similar personnel. So it'll probably be really close game. 
Yeah. Okay. We'll get into that game uh, on next week's podcast. So, hey, great stuff, uh, Gary Bedore, Jesse Newell. Jesse, great to have you back on Sportsbeat KC, and we will talk to you guys next week. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, we're joined by Kellis Robinette, who covers Kansas State. How are you doing today, Kellis? I'm doing good, surviving in another beautiful day in Manhattan. How about you, Blair? Good, doing good, surviving and advancing. I guess we're advancing. I don't know. <laughs> that's, the good, that's the best way to put it right now. Every day. Every day is like that's the NCAA tournament. That's right. Which, uh, which we found out earlier this week, all of uh, all the games will be played at one site—not uh, one site, but one city or one area, Indianapolis this year. So interesting for interesting announcement by the NCAA. But a more immediate concern is Kansas State's next football game against Iowa State on Saturday. Farmageddon. I always love that name for the for the game. It's so I great. Think it's, isn't it? It's perfect, isn't it? I mean, it, it's. I think it started when those games were played at Arrowhead back back in the day. I think they looked for a nickname for it, then, um, and somebody came up with Farmageddon. We'll have to find out who who originated that. I, I believe now. Uh, I I don't know this for absolute certainty, um, but I think the origins of it were yeah. In two thousand nine, they played Iowa State in Kansas City, and I believe some Kansas State fans um, on some message boards here. Uh, came up with the uh, came up with the the nickname. So shout out to them. I, I also think Kevin Haskin, the old columnist at, at the Topeka Capital Journal, was maybe the first to coin it in print. So th- those two guys would get credit in my book. Hey, anytime we can get Earl on the podcast, uh, <laughs> that, that that's a good deal. Um, I have I have seen you pose the question and 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 try to engage Kansas State fans in the discussion of whether. Farmageddon is actually a bigger rival for the Wildcats than KU. And I think it's an interesting question. Look, in terms of success in the series, it's it's really weighted pretty heavily in both cases toward K-State. But the games have been a lot more competitive with Iowa State. And um, and I and there is some some rivalry feeling among Kansas State fans toward Iowa State, isn't there? There is, and I, I think I mean, KU, if KU was competent in football, then there would be no debate. KU would be the rival. Um, even this year, when they're they're no good coming in here and losing 55-14, you can still see how happy K-State fans get about just bludgeoning their rivals. So if, if KU was a little bit better in football, there would be no debate. But, um, you know, they're not. Um, they, haven't, they haven't really even challenged K, K-State hardly over the – really since the since Snyder got here and Kleiman uh, kept it going. So 
Kansas State fans have looked elsewhere, and it's kind of like back um, back in like the '90s and early 2000s when Kansas State Nebraska was was kind of heated, and people looked at that as a secondary rivalry. I think Farmageddon has become that, and it's not just because of the catchy name. Um, I, I think Matt Campbell has infused a lot of uh, interesting life into Iowa State, and I think when Kansas State fans look at Iowa State, they see them trying to trying to recreate what Kansas State had at some of the times. Um, like during the best Snyder years, Campbell clearly hasn't uh, matched that yet at Iowa state. I don't believe he's won more than eight games there yet, but um, they've, they've, uh, they've improved what they're, what they're doing. They're starting to come in and take some of uh, the recruits that Kansas state would like to have like Brees Hall. And um, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of fun, I guess, uh, you know, chatter going back and forth between the, the two rivals on social media and I, I, to throw some other elements into it, like last year, Iowa State comes in and and beats out Kansas State for the better bowl game, even though Kansas State beat them uh, in the final game of the regular season. Just just stuff like that is uh, added uh, added the rivalry, added to the rivalry, even though Kansas State has won, I believe, twelve of the last thirteen. Right, and it was two years ago in the last time the teams played at Ames. They're playing at Ames on Saturday. That. Uh, the Wildcats had a pretty com- not comfortable, but a double-digit lead, I think, in the fourth quarter. And Iowa State came back to win that game, the the only Cyclones win in that stretch that you just mentioned. And that, of course, turned out to be the final game for Bill Snyder. And the loss kept Kansas State from becoming bowl eligible, as I recall, that mm-hmm. night. So, um, yeah, and, yeah. and, the, and I was going to say, since 2014, the, the games have been decided by 4, 3, 5, 1, 4, and then 10 points last year. So it always seems to come down to a fourth quarter drive in this game. It, it always does, and that's what makes it so cool. Um, I, I think you can even add on to it. I, I think Manhattan and Ames are kind of similar cities in a lot of ways uh, that both universities do have. Agriculture you know, is kind of their backbone. So that there's a lot in common here. And I think when Kansas State fans see Iowa State trying to improve on football, they uh, take a lot of um, glee in beating them, much like they do KU. But it, it is very interesting that this this series, no matter how good or bad the other team is, it always does seem to come down to a, a last possession and some crazy endings. I mean, during during the streak that we've been talking about, I, I've witnessed Kansas State win on a blocked extra point. I've seen Kansas State win on a, just a series of Paul Ro- of Paul Rhodes gaffes, fumbles, missed, uh, you know, just missed missed field goals. Kansas State winning when they had no business doing it. Um, there was uh, the play where Skylar Thompson hit um, Isaiah Zuber for a walk off victory when they played miserably the whole game. And then, uh, yeah, last year, then they they actually just last year was one of the few times they did win by double digits. They won by ten. So it's it's been it's been very entertaining. It's kind of funny when when you just look at the you know the the recent results. K State's won twelve of the last thirteen. Oh, that's a boring rivalry, but it, it really hasn't been. Right, and if I, if this is right, and I'm looking at it from you know, one source, and sometimes these sources don't necessarily agree, but the place where I'm looking at says that Iowa State leads the all-time series fifty to forty-nine with four ties. Can't get closer than that. So. <laughs> You know, let me pull cool. my video down real fast. I think Kansas State might actually dispute that. That might be one. Oh, of, those of course, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be college football unless a a series uh, record is disputed by by the by but, the rivals. Uh, no, I, I think you're right. Forty nine, fifteen, forty. They've got that here too. So okay. Um, so yeah. Uh, so too bad. Up, if Kansas State wins this weekend, it is all tied. 
How about that? After more than, more than a century of competition, it would be tied. How cool is that? So, okay, hey, you mentioned earlier, uh, mentioned him earlier, uh, Brees Hall, the, the the running back for Iowa State. He is leading the Big 12 in rushing. Is he leading the nation in rushing as well right now? He is the nation's leading rusher. He's the only person in the country with 1,000 rushing yards right now. How about that? So maybe on his way to an All-America season, and I've caught him on TV a few times. He is impressive. He's a strong back uh it's it's hard for one guy to bring him down he is um you know he you know he is the the centerpiece of the Iowa State offense and he's from Wichita as you mentioned how did he get out you did a story on him this week how did he get out of the state of Kansas yeah it's uh kind of an interesting deal um he was basically a, a late bloomer in high school um, he played at Wichita Northwest, a high school that at the time when he was a freshman and sophomore there, they had some other seniors, juniors, running backs who were just a little bit ahead of him developmental wise. So he didn't actually uh, end up playing varsity football until he was a junior. So it's not like he was a, a kid who, um, you know, KUK State, these other programs have been all over for years. Um, and when he did start playing as a junior, for whatever reason, uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State was one of the first coaches who like seriously sat down and looked at his film and he liked it so much. He said, boy, I, you know, nobody else has offered this kid yet, but I think we need to get in on him. So he was he was the first person to call Brees Hall and say, we, we want to offer you scholarship. We'd love to have you at Iowa State. Um, and basically, Brees Hall was just so enamored by the, the faith they showed in him that as other schools came in like Michigan Wisconsin, Nebraska, he blew up to become a national recruit. Um, and K-State and KU were involved too, but he told me he wanted to, he wanted to play somewhere out of state and Iowa state was the first school that showed serious interest in him. And he said, well, wh- why not? I-, I like it. I'll go play there. And I remember when he signed with Iowa state, I, I seem to remember a lot of K-State fans basically were just kind of hopeful that he wouldn't uh, turn out to be a great college player because they were missing out on him. But we've already seen that that's, that's not going to happen. He's uh to be leading the, the nation in rushing yards as a sophomore, he's way ahead of schedule as a really good running back. Yeah, and he had his got his career off to a good start last year. He he rushed for almost he was three yards short of nine hundred yards for the season as a freshman, nine touchdowns. So not uh, not a big mystery coming into this season, but um, uh, good for him. Uh, and and uh, you know he'll be he'll be at Iowa State for at least another year. Or so. What's the what? What is the COVID nineteen update when it comes to the roster and the prospects of playing? And you and I have talked about this that you just never know until you know until the end of the week if if a game is going to be one hundred percent certain. And and there are already some games around the country that have been postponed or canceled this week. And the Pac twelve made news earlier today by announcing that uh, they the, their their schools. Um, might be able to play non-conference games when it wasn't, uh, you know, in, in place of Pac-12 games when that didn't um, that, that was didn't seem possible when the Pac-12 decided to to restart the season. So, how about with K-State? Uh, is it looking good for uh, for Saturday? Well, we're kind of in wait and see mode right now. The way Chris Klam has talked this week, um, it's at least up in the air. I would say, from what I know, they're probably on the right side of playing um, as long as they don't have further negative tests at the wrong positions, which are defensive uh, defensive tackle, offensive line, and quarterback. As long as those three positions stay the way they are right now, they should be able to play. Um, but it's, you know, interesting. Like you said, it seems like every single conference across the country right now is uh, having to cancel games because of COVID. Um, 
Kansas State is dealing with a current outbreak. They have 12 active cases on their roster. They've had to contact trace a lot more. So um, I guess the good thing is that from what Kleiman has told us is that the majority of those players are freshmen, scout team guys who wouldn't necessarily be playing in, on Saturdays anyway. But still, when you have that many uh, players out, it makes it hard to practice. And then it, it, if you take those guys out of the roster, if all of a sudden people who you would expect to play come down with COVID or get hurt, and all of a sudden they can't play, then your game is in jeopardy. So we'll see. They're going to test today. They're going to test on Friday. This will probably be one of those weeks where we're waiting until you know noon on Friday to get the all clear about whether or not they can play. What a season. And nothing nothing like this, at least since 1918. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> and we all remember uh, that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Callis Robinette, it was great catching up with you, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, Blair. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Jesse Newell, Gary Bedore, and Kellis Robinette for stopping by and talking KU and Kansas State sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you, especially for those that want to deep dive into the Star's terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month, and after three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just the sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news, features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus news, sports, and business coverage additionally with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And I know that's a lot of dots and dashes. Sounds like Morse code. But if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting in supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday with another episode.